Hi everyone and welcome back to Crisis of Crime. I'm your host Rachel Means and I'm a criminologist. Thank you for joining me for my weekly podcast where we talk about criminology and criminal justice reform. This week I want to talk about a more controversial topic, which is abortion. Abortion is highly politicized, especially for Christian Americans. Oftentimes, abortion is one of the main issues that influences who people vote for since conservative politicians tend to be against abortion while liberal politicians tend to support it. Recently, the Texas Senate passed Senate Bill 8, or SB 8, also known as the Texas Heartbeat Bill, which makes it illegal for a person to get an abortion after a fetal heartbeat is detected, so around six weeks of gestational age, which is problematic because a person usually doesn't even know that they are pregnant at six weeks. Ironically, at this stage in the pregnancy, the baby is still technically an embryo, so it's not even considered a fetus till around eight weeks, so calling it a fetal heartbeat is really a misnomer, but I digress. Usually, a law like this would immediately be challenged in court because of the precedent set by Roe v. Wade, which was a landmark Supreme Court case in 1973. It states that the Constitution protects a woman's right to an abortion without any government restrictions. Quick side note, there's a clause in the U.S. Constitution called the Supremacy Clause, which makes the U.S. Constitution and federal laws the supreme law of the land, meaning if a state ever created a law that contradicted the Constitution or a federal law, the Constitution or the federal law will always reign supreme and the state law could not be enforced. So if Texas's law flat out said that abortion was illegal after six weeks and the Texas government was enforcing that law, then the Supremacy Clause would make it so that that law was unconstitutional because it contradicted the precedent set by Roe v. Wade, which of course said that the Constitution protects a woman's right to choose. And so the Texas law would not be able to be enforced. However, Texas lawmakers understood this. They understood the Supremacy Clause. So they did something really sneaky to get around it. Instead of having the Texas government enforce this law, they deputized all private citizens of Texas to enforce this law instead. So any Texan can sue anyone who gets an abortion or assists a person in getting an abortion in civil court for up to $10,000 in damages. The person suing doesn't even have to know the person who got an abortion. It can be any random person. And when I say that they can sue anyone who assisted, I mean anyone. It can be the doctor performing the abortion, the nurses that work at the clinic, even the Uber driver who took the patient to the clinic. By making it private citizens who are enforcing this law, they are able to get around the government restriction part of Roe v. Wade. And to add insult to injury, SB 8 does not make any exceptions for people who are victims of rape or incest. So if a person was a victim of rape and got pregnant as a result and decided to get an abortion, their rapist could technically sue them in civil court for up to $10,000 in damages. Okay, enough background on SB8. As you know, this podcast is about criminology, so I'm not going to sit here and harp on SB8. Instead, I'm going to predict what's going to happen in Texas's future if they keep this law. In that future has a lot of crime. 
At this point, you might be confused. But Rachel, what do crime and abortion have to do with each other? Well, actually a lot. Do you remember in the early 90s when crime hit an all-time high and then proceeded to plummet, and that we've seen a steady decrease in the crime rate ever since? Sure, we can attribute some of the decrease in crime to the tough-on-crime stance that Bill Clinton took in the 1993 crime bill. It increased the number of police officers on the streets and increased the prison capacity, and plus measures that were helping get control of the crack epidemic. But something else was going on at that time that wasn't in such clear view. You remember that landmark Supreme Court case that I mentioned earlier, Roe v. Wade? Remember how I said it was decided in 1973? Well, fast forward about 18 to 20 years, aka around 1990 to 1992, and you have a society where unwanted children are now absent and who aren't in their peak criminal years. Around 75% of people who get abortions are considered low income, and about half of those are living under the poverty line. Clearly, financial hardship and living in poverty are one of the main reasons a person seeks an abortion. If a person is forced to have a child without any kind of financial or welfare assistance, then that family will sink further into poverty. The cycle of poverty is incredibly hard to get out of. A longitudinal study released in 2014 followed 800 children in Baltimore for 30 years. All 800 children were born into families that fell into the low-income bracket financially. Out of those 800 children, only 33 of them were able to move to a high-income bracket by the time they were 28. That is only 4%. But you might be asking, what does poverty have to do with crime? Well, everything, really. The majority of crime committed in this country is because of poverty. You've heard me talk about the strain theory on this podcast before, and I feel like a broken record bringing it up so much, but it's just so applicable to the criminal landscape in America. The strain theory suggests that people commit crimes in order to survive, essentially, because the legitimate means of supporting themselves and their lives are insufficient. Usually with the strain theory, people commit crimes to essentially supplement their income. So it's crimes like drug trafficking and drug dealing, prostitution and theft. So in terms of abortion, if you have less people who are in poverty, aka less people who are likely going to fall into the ways of the strain theory and turn to criminal activity to be able to survive, then you're gonna have a lower crime rate. How can we be so sure that abortion impacted the crime rate in the early 90s and that it just wasn't a mixture of other factors that were present? Well, five states actually legalized abortion before the Supreme Court decided Roe v. Wade. California, New York, Alaska, Hawaii, and Washington state all legalized abortion before 1973. Researchers at the University of Chicago looked at the data to see if these five states experienced a drop in crime 18 to 20 years after they legalized abortion and therefore would show a drop in crime before the rest of the country. What they found was that these five states experienced a much earlier and more significant drop in crime. Between 1982 and 1997, violent crime fell by around 30% in these five states compared to the rest of the country. The results of the study were so significant that the researchers said, quote, 
legalized abortion might well be the single most important factor in reducing crime in the 1990s, perhaps accounting for as much as half of the drop in crime observed by the United States between 1991 and 1997, end quote. To further support this argument, the states with the highest abortion rates are also those states who have seen the most dramatic decrease in crime. So what does this mean for Texas? Well, it's likely that if this abortion ban sticks, that Texas will see a huge surge of criminal activity in about 18 to 20 years, so around year 2040. Based on the data in the study from the University of Chicago, crime could increase in Texas by around 50% due to restricting abortion. It's really unfortunate that history always seems to repeat itself in this country. There is a glimmer of hope, though. The Justice Department is suing the state of Texas over SB 8, and the case will likely end up back at the Supreme Court. Earlier this year, the Supreme Court voted on a shadow docket of whether or not to block SB 8. Shadow dockets are good for getting a Supreme Court vote quickly, but are not good when it's such a controversial issue. With a shadow docket, the Supreme Court doesn't get together to have oral arguments on the constitutionality of a law. Instead, they cast their votes individually and separately. It's a dangerous method because Supreme Court justices, and all courts for that matter, are supposed to be impartial bodies. But with a shadow docket, it's much easier for the justices to vote along their political and moral lines. Now, as I mentioned, since the Justice Department is suing the state of Texas, it's very likely that this case will end up back at the Supreme Court for an official hearing where the justices will have to come together for oral arguments. It's very likely that at that time they will rule in favor of the Justice Department and declare that SB 8 is unconstitutional because of the precedent set by Roe v. Wade. But if they don't do that, if they rule in favor of Texas, it will set a dangerous new precedent that other states could follow in Texas's example and create their own versions of a heartbeat bill. I am aware that some other states do have their own versions of a heartbeat bill, but none as extreme as Texas. If that does happen, and multiple states effectively ban abortion at this early stage when a person is likely to not even know that they are pregnant yet, then as a country, we are putting ourselves at risk of having the crime rate return to the high levels similar to as in the early 90s. I think that we can all agree that that is a future we would all like to avoid. Okay, friends, that is all I have for you today. Be sure to let me know your thoughts on SB 8 and how you think the case between the Justice Department and the state of Texas will pan out. You can find me on Twitter and TikTok at Crisis of Crime, or you can visit my website at www.crisisofcrime.com, where you can send me a direct message. Be sure to tune in next Monday for an all-new episode, and until then, this has been Crisis of Crime. Crisis of Crime